0: Okay, another episode of the CT Turf Podcast, once again, on location in the greater metropolitan uh, or greater Augusta, Georgia metropolitan area, which we did confirm uh, through Google is the second largest city in Georgia, um, depending on which census you look at.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it depends which year. Uh, Columbus is surprisingly big, but... Uh I'm kind of partial to Augusta so I'm going to be happy with that being second.
0: I was maybe surprised Savannah wasn't higher on the list but um you know I don't know that much about Georgia other than um that I do enjoy coming here once a year for the Masters tournament.
1: So yeah, it's a wonderful state.
0: Um, Micah, today I had a question I wanted to bring up with you, and it was uh, a question that we talked about, I think this was my first Masters, the first Masters we worked together in 2017, and we were driving back to the airport in Atlanta and talking about uh, just various turf topics, and you said something to me that was really interesting, and I wanted wanted to get your, your thoughts on it now. You said to me, and I'm not holding you to this, but I wanna I wanna ask you about it, you said, and this is very basic, and I'll let you explain, um, if you remember, you said if if I was gonna grow a bank grass putting green and I had a USGA system and I wanted to keep all the POA out of it, I would and I only ever fertilized, and I'm doing this from memory. I only ever fertilized it with ammonium sulfate. I don't think I would have any POA in that putting green. Now, I might be simplifying that comment. It might be something you no longer agree with. Or you might tell me, Chris, that's crazy. I don't remember that comment, nor do I agree with it. But it stuck with me. And while I don't know that that's what I do exactly, it's also, I think, something that it could be a good basis of thought for growing bentgrass so did you want to maybe just talk about that a little bit
1: wow wow (laughs) um that is a good one i i actually don't remember saying that however it sounds like something i would say and i completely agree with it that i am sure that if you have a usga sand-based green so by that i mean a a green with drainage underneath and, and sand that meets the USGA recommendations for putting green construction at the uh, as the root zone. And if you only fertilize that with ammonium sulfate, I am fairly confident. I'm I'm quite confident that we would not have POA in it and we would have um, we, had, we would have a good chance of having bentgrass. grass. But actually, as you were saying the question, I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say that uh, I've I've heard Japanese greenkeepers refer to using growth regulators as cheating. But I think that's that's a that's a topic for another time. Well, that,
0: so uh, I, in my mind, as I was thinking about this episode and asking you this question, I was choosing between those two questions. So maybe the 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 PGRs as cheating is a as a topic for another. Um, another podcast but of course now it won't be um, it won't be such a surprise so I can't catch you off guard with it because you'll be thinking about it but
1: yeah well I mean let, let's just let's just stay on topic and consider the ammonium sulfate thing and so basically um grass has a more extensive root system than does poa annua and because of that, in a low nutrient root zone, in a, in a root zone, like a sand-based root zone, that doesn't contain a high quantity of nutrients, the grass that has a root system that explores a greater volume of soil is going to be able to scavenge or capture or intercept or obtain more nutrients from the soil than the grass that has a smaller root system. So, if you only fertilize with ammonium sulfate, um, you're not supplying potassium, you're not supplying phosphorus. And so, the, you need a bigger root system to obtain that from the soil, and bent grass is going to outcompete po annua at that every single time. And, uh, so that, that was what I was getting at. I'm sure if, if I think back to five years ago or whenever I made that comment mm-hmm. and, um, I'm glad that that stuck with you. You've got a great memory.
0: Well, and you know, it's, so is that, so your feeling is, and, and probably the reality is, is that that's the reason that bank has that competitive advantage over POA in nutrient should we call it nutrient deficient situations would that be accurate and it's it is the size of the root zone rather than some sort of um physiological ability that bentgrass has to to absorb or to pull those nutrients out of the soil that differs from poa would that am I, well
1: i i don't know so i i think of it as the volume of root zone explored uh-huh. okay and so when you've got a bigger root system you're exploring a bigger volume of soil which means you can obtain more um, scarce nutrients sure and now whether that actually is the truth or whether that's just my mental model of it and it is something Mm -hmm. physiological that i'm not aware of i don't know but that's how i think of it in my simple mind sure so then
0: it, it makes sense to me, and this gets into kind of the way that we approach things at Hazeltine is applying nitrogen only, but also, again, testing, testing our, our soils, our soil fertility, soil um, nutrient levels um, to make sure that we have adequate uh, nutrients, which would get us into the, the we're getting, now we're getting into the realm of MLSN.
1: That's right. and So that's where MLSN tells you if you're safe or not, or if you're abnormally low. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to use the word deficiency. I don't like to use the word sufficiency level or target level when it comes to MLSN. It's more just telling you on a scale of zero to a hundred, how your soil is for a particular nutrient. And If you're at the MLSN minimum for potassium or at the MLSN minimum value at at that level in the soil for phosphorus, what that means is you've got 10% of the good performing turf soils have nutrient levels lower than that and 90% of good performing turf soils have nutrient levels higher than that. So it's, it's basically just a percentile type of calculation and as you get lower and lower, you I, I still don't want to say deficient because we can still have good turf. But if I'm managing Hazel, bentgrass greens at Hazeltine National Golf Club, and if I let my nutrient levels get so low and I'm testing it, I, I do recommend testing once a year for high-performance putting greens. If I test and find that there's only like 5% of putting greens that are producing good turf that are lower than 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 mine it's like it's not a race to the bottom like nobody (laughs) because at some point you get low enough that it fails but that also is a powerful tool to put stress on a weaker grass which is poa annua if you're trying to favor bent grass over poa annua
0: well and and so that's where to me as a superintendent it makes sense to i have that information i have Soil nutrient analysis, telling me what's in there. I have your recommendations, um, which we're still above the MLSN guidelines. I think on our last testing, we're getting down in a both potassium and um, and um, phosphorus level, where it's something to watch, something to pay attention to. But we can more or less provide ammonium nitrogen through ammonium sulfate, and in our case, urea as well, and and. Try to exploit that that um, that competitive advantage that the bentgrass has over the poa, which I think after um, twelve years, I, I kind of always forget what this number is, but twelve to thirteen years of of our greens since our greens were were built and seeded, I think we're winning that battle quite uh, quite. I don't want to say easily, but it's it's kind of a a blowout at this point because. Um, we're having really great success over that period of time of keeping the poa annua at absolutely minimal levels. Um, And I have to think that this is part of the reason.
1: Yeah. If, uh, if you want to grow a lot of weeds and make sure that all kinds of things can grow, you should really try to create healthy soils and, uh, well-balanced soils and nutrient-rich soils and, uh, soils with, uh, that are well uh, you know, decompacted, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like if, you, if you make something that, that is, is kind of what some people are trying to do, kind of what we get taught in textbooks about agronomic things that are good for the grass, yep. like having a neutral pH and having plenty of phosphorus and potassium and calcium and magnesium in the soil and having a well aerated soil and all of these things, you know what that's good for? It's it's good for all kinds of things to grow. I
0: would imagine. I would imagine. I mean, I've, I, yeah, I. That's agronomy. I, it, that, that does sound like agronomy rather than um, greenkeeping. Uh huh. Um, but so I think the final thing I, I wanted to mention is it when I have and I know you have had this had people say to me. Well, you're you're just creating a, a danger zone that you really don't need to create by by going to such low levels. And what happens if all of a sudden there's some kind of collapse? I just, but it doesn't work like that, right? So my uh, my bentgrass putting greens that are performing really, really well at the soil, at the the nutrient levels that we're at are not suddenly tomorrow gonna I'm gonna, not going to come into work and oh my gosh, what has happened to these greens? There's going to be There's going to be signs that okay you know maybe it's purpling that might indicate we have a a phosphorus issue, Um, but to me then that's pretty easily to correct so pretty easy to correct so then why wouldn't I try to exploit the advantage that the bentgrass has as much as possible right up to the point where maybe even it's just starting to create a little bit of something that we will notice visually and then correcting the problem. Does that make sense to you as a, as a, uh, you know, from, from your position you know, as a scientist and a writing recommendations?
1: Yeah. I mean, that does make sense. Although I would hope that we would never push it to the edge more than once. Like you'd, you'd push it. And, and so here's the thing you've, been doing this for three or four years now with uh, mlsn based nutrient recommendations and your phosphorus is below mlsn and your potassium is below mlsn both of those are below mlsn on the creeping bentgrass greens and i'm uh we still haven't over those three years you haven't seen any deficiency or seen any extra wilting and heat stress you haven't seen any lack of traffic tolerance or anything and i'm still recommending that you apply potassium right and and i'm recommending that you pay very close attention to the phosphorus but in this case because you're trying to fight poa it's quite nice it's it's a it's a wonderful attribute of your soil conditions that you do have such low phosphorus because now you can use it as a tool potentially to favor bank grass over poa so for me Um, I, I really don't want to flirt with that edge too much. That's why we do the testing and, and we can comfortably make sure that we're not getting like crazy low, but if you ever did notice anything, you know what to look out for and you would only notice it once. I hope you'd notice it once, fix the problem and say, let's never go that low again.
0: Yeah, that, that makes it, that me, I mean, that makes a great, uh, it makes a great deal of sense to me. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, many many superintendents probably just fear uh, you know, what what could happen if there is a deficiency. But I think that I've I've used the phrase in the past, exploring the limits of turf grass management or exploring the limits of greenkeeping. And I think there's to me it makes a great deal of sense to do that on occasion or to have the opportunity to do that because then you know what those limits are. Um, I'm not talking about death, although sometimes maybe on occasion that does happen. I've, I've, I've once heard that there are two types of superintendents, those that have killed grass and those that will kill grass. So, you know, I think we probably all do that at some point. And the key is to learn from it and then to be able to put yourself in the best possible position to have the best possible conditions going forward.
1: Yeah. And one more thing that comes to mind about nutrient deficiencies and why I think, people don't need to be terribly concerned about them if they're just paying attention to how much the grass grows. The grass can only use as many nutrients as it uses at the rate that it's growing at, Mm -hmm. okay? So you're not going to suddenly have the grass grow at a hundred times the normal rate and have a hundred times the normal amount of potassium in the leaves, which would mean that there's a huge demand for potassium that the soil can't supply. The grass actually grows at a rate that's quite predictable that that you're either measuring or you can estimate it because it's limited by how much nitrogen you supply to the grass. So there's ways to calculate how much the grass can grow and what's the maximum amount of every nutrient that it could be using Mm -hmm. for any duration of time. And of course, there's a little bit of math involved because you have to convert the soil units, which are a concentration of mass of nutrient per mass of soil, typically, to a unit that we would use for fertilizer, which is mass of nutrient per area of, of surface area of, of the soil. So you, But that, that's a simple conversion. You make that conversion. But if you do that, you can look at the soil's quantity of nutrients and the grass's demand for nutrients. And you can look at your maximum demand in April and in May and in June at various growth rates. And you will find that the soil does or does not have enough nutrients to supply that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's some of the background calculations that happen uh, when I'm making the fertilizer recommendations. And it happen when I'm making MLSM based fertilizer recommendations. And it, it, there's a lot of safety there because even though it might seem like the MLSN levels in the soil are low, there actually remains, at the rate that turf grass grows, there remains a lot of nutrients in the soil that the grass can use. And so it's, it's safe. And uh, I think everybody who's used MLSN can vouch for that. And it's, it's a lot of people around the world producing some pretty amazing turf grass surfaces who, who can vouch for it, it actually being safe.
0: Yeah, well, I'm certainly one of them, and and uh, it's working for us. So, well, thanks, Micah. That was a great discussion, and I'm I'm um, glad that I maybe caught you off guard with that comment a little bit. I mean, imagine you know with how great that discussion was. Imagine how great it would be when I when we do and if we get to the PGR discussion, which is something that you actually remember saying. So, um, yeah. So thanks for um thanks for going over that. And um, for, for, you know, being a good sport and answering a question that you didn't know I was going to ask
1: you. It was my pleasure. See you next time. Thanks.